Well, we've missed several weeks uh, in this series we're doing, which is obviously we're going to continue to do this series. I believe we're bringing it to a close. Uh, Are you ready? Uh, Several weeks ago, we had Pastor Sam in the house, Pastor Sam Smucker, and really, uh, really appreciated what he spoke about, about what's really important in God's eyes is people. And that's what we're here, which the kingdom of God is all about. And then last week, Pastor Ray filled in for me on Mother's Day, and I appreciate that. But we're going to get back into this. So we're going to just start with Matthew 24, simply because this is our key scripture here. And Jesus is in this whole section of scripture, which is right during the last week of his life on the earth. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about what's going to happen. And he's talking with really one purpose in mind. And, and we often misread this. People get into these verses and they start, you know, trying to figure out when's he coming back and what's going to mean and what does this mean and what does that mean. And if God really wants us to know something, he's going to tell us. So Jesus goes through all of this and then he says, we're going to look, start in verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour the Lord is coming. So the therefore means everything I've just talked about is for this purpose that you would, you, you would watch, be alert, be aware. For you do not know the hour the Lord is coming. But you know this, that if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come, he would have watched. He wouldn't have been asleep. He would have been prepared. That's what he's talking about. He would have been ready. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And here's our key verse, verse 44. Therefore, because of all this, this is what I'm talking about, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. It could be before this message is over. He could come back. And the question is, are we, don't answer this too quickly, are we ready? Are you ready? And that's what we're looking at. So we've looked at the first most important things about being ready, eternity. Because when He comes back, or whenever, if you, if you leave your body, if you die, or He comes back, you're stepping into eternity. Pastor Sam Smucker talked about that. Everybody you pass, everybody that you see today, is someone that at some point is going to pass into eternity. And eternity, and there are only two places. There's a heaven and there's a hell, and they will spend, you will spend, I will spend eternity into whichever one I'm going to go. And the Bible teaches us that we have the privilege of choosing which one we're going to go to. So why would anybody in their right mind choose to go to hell? I've heard, you know, young people say, well, I'm going to go to hell because all my friends are there having a party. That's not a party in hell. There's a book out there, I don't think we have in the bookstore, about 26 minutes in hell. And it will curl your toes backwards. It's a vision somebody had. Brother Hagen has a book about going to hell, seeing hell. And it brought him to the Lord when he saw that. Hell is a place of unbelievable torture and torment. It's when the devil lets all of his evil loose on you and there is nothing to resist him with. Heaven, on the other hand, is the presence of God. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy and peace and love. And you get to choose where you're going to, which one of those you're going to spend eternity to. So the quest, first question is, are you ready for that? And then we talked about, uh, um, uh, uh, we talked about some scriptures which are in chapter 25, where about the, the parable that Jesus teaches about the, the, the wise virgins, virgins, not virgins, the wise young ladies. <laughs> and, the, and the unwise one. And it was all about being ready for when the bridegroom comes. And the bridegroom, of course, represents Christ coming for his bride, which represents the church. And we talked about the oil was what made them ready. Some had enough oil, some didn't have enough oil. And there are lots of commentaries written about what the oil is. I, I really believe it's the presence of the Spirit in you. But it really ultimately is talking about your heart towards God. Are you passionate towards God? 
Does that oil of, of, of your love for him burn in you every day? Or is your prayer time when you do have it a burden? Is coming to church a burden? Is reading your Bible a burden? Then you've lost your first love. You've lost touch with that oil. And we talked about how to restore that. And you can listen to those messages. We don't have time to do that. Some of it is like just part of what I wanted to do is to get away with my wife because of all the busyness and things going on around here. They've taken me away from her, not just necessarily time, but part of my attention and heart. So I wanted to be able to spend time just to devote with her and spend time, time with her and do some romantic things with her. And so there was one night we had a chance to, I told the people that were entertaining, this was years, our 50th anniversary, so they sang a song for us and got us to dance. But those things rekindle the passion, rekindle the passion. And it takes sometimes setting time aside to do that. But we have to do that with the Lord. That's the most important thing in your life, is your relationship with Him. And it's the thing that so often gets put on the back burner because he's not standing there demanding it. It's what happens in a family because kids come along and they demand attention. Not just because they're standing there demanding, just their situation demands it. And so what happens is at the end of the day, the husband and wife seem to have very little left over for each other because the kids have demanded so much and life has demanded so much. But you have to purpose and work to do that to, in order to come through 50 years in order to have a good relationship after 50 years. And so, but that's true with the Lord even more so. And we've talked about that. So we're going to move into another aspect of this. We talked about the greatest commandment is simply this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. But you can't do that if you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart. That's all He demands of you. And everything else comes out of that. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to learn, move into a new phase of this. We'll come back to Matthew 25 before we're done. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There we go. Are you ready? That's the question. Are you ready? The question is, ready for what? Well, we're going to look at that today. Now, chapter four, and chapter 4 begins with him talking about the difficult things that he went through. Chapter 4 ends with his discussion. We've talked about this before, about uh, um, how Paul went through the perspective he had that took him through all the difficulties of his life. And what it comes down to is he learned to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith in eternity, not by sight of what was going on around him. And he ends in chapter 5, verse 7, saying that we walk by faith and not by sight. We're confident, yes, well, pleased rather to be absent from the body and be present in the Lord. Verse 9 is what I want to pick up on. This was Paul's perspective. This is what keeps me straight. This is what keeps me going through difficult times. When everything screams at you and say, just quit, run away. All pastors feel that at times. All people feel that at times. If you're, if you're never going through a difficult time, you need to question what you're doing because you're no threat to the devil. So if you're going through a challenging time, most likely it's because there's a threat in you that he doesn't want you to walk in. And so Paul writes this. He says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, in other words, whether in this body or absent from this body, to be well-pleasing to him. This was his goal in life, was to be well-pleasing to Christ. And here's why, verse 10. For we must all, Everybody say all. all. Say it again. All. All in the, the Greek word for all means all. <laughs> no one left out. 
So look to your right. That, that's this side for you. And look to your left. That's this side for you. It includes all of them. And now it includes you too. All of us will someday, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. We don't like to think about this. It's like a life insurance salesman's biggest problem is people don't like to think about the fact they're going to die. And he's obviously there to make money, but he's also there to help us so that we have provision for our family when that day comes. Not if that day comes, when that day comes. And, 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 and at least then, there's always, oh, well, maybe Jesus will come back first and I don't have to pay my mortgage payment that month. I don't have to, you know, it doesn't work that way. But this one, whether he comes back or not while you're alive, none of us are going to avoid. And part of my responsibility as your pastor is to tell you the truth in love and to tell myself the truth in love. I've just been talking to the Lord a lot about I want to walk in truth. I want to make sure that everything I'm seeing, everything I'm reading, everything I'm saying is truth because there's a lot of confusion out there in the churches. There's a lot of confusion in teaching. There are many voices out there saying many messages to you. And we need to learn to walk in truth. The third letter of John wrote talks about, you know, Beloved, I wish above all things that you be of, be of health and be in, as your soul prospers. He says, I'm pleased because I hear you walking in truth. It pleases God when we walk in truth. It's dangerous to not walk in truth. So I've been praying lately, God, I'm going to stand before you someday. I don't want surprises. I'd rather know now what I've got to see. I'd rather know now so I can make the adjustments in my life now so that that day is a pleasant day. And I have a responsibility to help you do that. Now, you can resist it. You can say no. You can say, boy, he's really off today. That's your privilege. It's always your privilege to be wrong. <laughs> I'm trying to help you today by speaking the truth in love. Now, this is not a jump up, run around the church shouting message, but the truth will do that to you because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Everybody say, I love Pastor John. Okay, we got that out of the way. All right. Not everybody said that. <laughs> That's okay. For we must all appear. The word appear there is an interesting word. I hadn't really looked at it until this morning. The word appear means in the Greek to make visible things that are invisible. Things that are hidden to be exposed. So when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, as you'll see in a minute, there's nothing hidden. The motives of the heart, the intentions. And sometimes, you know, we do good things, but our intentions are wrong. We do good things because we want credit for having done good things, whether other people give it to us or we give it to ourselves. You know, John, you did a good job. You really love that person. Well, my motive was not for loving them. My motive was because I'd feel good about myself. All that's going to be exposed. Aren't you glad it's exposed by a loving father? Aren't you glad it's exposed by somebody who's paid for your sin? Well, then why would he do it? Because if we don't have, and I'll talk about what judgment means in a minute. If we don't have judgment... Judgment just means accountability. And that's, that's the subtitle of this message, is giving an account. Okay, let's look on. This gets better. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, whether profitable or unprofitable. Now, 
the judgment seat of Christ, the Greek word there is bima, B-E-M-A. And this word refers to a platform that they had in their, in their town, in the, in the city center. And they also had it at their Olympia, their games, where they're, you know, their track and field games. And what would happen is the, the, whoever was the supreme authority in that city would sit on that on a certain day and, and issues would be brought, like a judge, issues would be brought before him and he would give a judgment. The word judgment simply is a word, diacrino, which means to, to choose between yes or no, right or wrong, is to make a choice. When Paul talks about it, or when James talks about it in chapter 1 of James, you know, not to be double-minded, it's that same word, not to have two different decisions about something, but to make one decision about something, single-minded. And this word bima referred to a platform that was raised that the ruling authority in that city would sit on. It also represented uh, uh, the seat that would be sat in at the games where they would run track, track games and Olympic type games. And then the winner would come and stand before that to receive his prize. So the judgment seat of Christ refers to rewards, as we'll see in a minute. This is different than the great right throne judgment. I can tell I've been away for a week. The great white throne judgment, which in chapter 25 of Matthew, he talks later on. And that's at the end of all the ages. Everyone's going to appear before God's throne. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone's going to appear before God's throne. And those that did not accept Christ are going to be sent to eternal damnation. Those that are in Christ are going to be brought into eternal glory. So that's not what this is about. This is not about whether you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. This is an accounting for what you did. This refers to Christians. This refers to people that are in the body of Christ. They're a part of His body. And we're, there's, a, there's a wonderful teaching out there now about grace, and grace is, needs to be emphasized, but it's got to be balanced with, okay, we're, we're saved by grace, and I talked about this a couple of Wednesday nights ago, but Ephesians 2 says we're saved unto good works. You're not saved, you don't get into heaven by good works, but because you're in Christ, we are to do good works. Because we're, in, we're to be like Christ, Christ-like. And this is to show us there's going to give accounting for what we do with that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. There's going to come a day of accounting. Not whether you go to heaven or not, but we're going to see what's involved in it today. Because the question today is, are you ready for that? Because while you're... Do this. Take a breath. If you could still breathe, you still have an opportunity to change things. (laughs) Okay? Don't look backwards. Don't say, oh, I haven't done enough. That's just going to hold you back. If you're still alive... This is being brought to us by the Holy Spirit today because there's still opportunity to do something. There's still opportunity to make adjustments. That's why God's asking you, are you ready? Because I'm not coming back right now. I'm coming back soon. But you have a chance to get ready. So listen, listen up. Listen up. Okay. It'll be better. Okay, let's go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What is that going to involve? I'm glad you asked. 
I'm going to start in the beginning, we're good, but I'm going to skip some verses. But I want to write, this is a letter written by Paul, as I've mentioned many times, to the church at Corinth that was a mess. They were very spiritual in the sense that the spiritual gifts were operating very powerfully and freely through them, but we're going to see they were very carnal Christians. They hadn't grown spiritually. And I've mentioned this to you many times, but the measure in God's eyes of your spirituality is not how God's using you. Which is why you can have pastors in the pulpit that are in sin and God's still using them. Eventually it will catch up with them. People say, well, how could he preach when he's doing that? And it's, uh, I'm not in sin, but how, how, could that ha- how could they do that? Because God's using that gift to minister to his people. It's God's faithfulness to his people. It's not a measure of that man's... Per- but if you, if you don't watch your spiritual walk... See, that's what I have to give out of. I have to give to you out of my own relationship with God. And sometimes you can try to coast on that, but I don't want to do that for your sake and for my sake. Okay, so Paul's talking to this church that's very carnal. And so with that background, we're just going to pick up and read a few verses and then I'm going to jump down to what we really want to talk about. I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, spiritually mature people but as carnal, as babies in Christ. In other words, Paul says, I can't speak to you like you're you're even teenagers. This is your babies, spiritual babies. But the gifts were flowing through them. I mean, powerful gifts of, 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 of healings, gifts of tongues, gifts of miracles were taking place. Wonderful gifts. And Paul has the audacity to call them babies? But here's why. I fed you with milk, not with solid food. That was interesting. Yesterday we had a celebration for our oldest son's birthday. And we had almost all of our family together and we went out to eat to a place that's known for their steaks. And, and we were really thrilled because our, our, our oldest granddaughter and our great-grandson, it's still... <laughs> were able to join us. So while we're all eating meat, while his mother has a big piece of prime rib in front of her, Michael wasn't eating prime rib. Why? Because he wasn't physically mature enough to chew it. He's only got two little teeth starting to come in. And even if he could chew it, his system is not mature enough to swallow it and to prosper it. He's, what, seven months old? I'm not seven months old. I'm 71 still. Okay. (laughs) We got to check with your wife. (laughs) You count decades, not... So, our granddaughter had a bottle of milk, whatever else they put in it, and that's what Michael got to eat while she's eating prime rib. But if they pass that bottle down to me, <clears throat> and I'm sucking on that bottle, because it's easier than chewing the meat. It's easier. It would look kind of strange, wouldn't it? If you walked in the Outback Steakhouse and your pastor's sucking on a baby bottle... But that's what many Christians are doing. 
they're, they're trying to get the milk of the word, which is the part that makes you feel better, feel good. And we don't have time to get into it, but in Hebrews, he talks about part of what that milk of the word, and it's the doctrine of righteousness, that you're the righteous. He said, that's the foundation. You should know that already. Faith towards God, you should know those things already. The meat of the word is that which is a little more difficult to chew and swallow, which is what's being served today. It's the responsibility side of being a Christian that you don't hear very much about today. But it's there in the Bible. That's why I only preach out of the Word. Oh, it gets better. Look at this. He said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Why? Because until now you're not able to receive it. Even this morning, there may be some of you that are just not able to receive this. That's okay. Keep listening, keep coming to the table. Why does he say that? Verse 3, you're still carnal. Carnal simply means flesh-dominated. The word carnal means you're dominated by what your senses tell you. So something happens in your life, and your immediate reaction is what your senses are telling you. So you get a bad report. Maybe you know people are getting fired at work or something, laid off at work. And you hear, you hear that with your ears, and your mind accepts whatever you hear is true. Don't believe everything you hear especially out there on the internet social media CNN Fox News NBC BBC whatever all those other letters just because you hear something somebody says does not mean it's truth we're going to get into this year a little bit what is truth how do you discern truth because most people today do not have any concept of how do I know what's truth, what's not truth how do I know how to separate the truth from error, how do I know where to find truth it's all in here, it tells you all in here how did I get off on that oh carnal they're being led by their senses so something goes wrong, maybe it's in their body and they know God's Word. They've been coming around for a long time and know God's Word, but God's Word has very little authority in their life when something goes wrong. Instead, their senses are screaming at them and they believe whatever their senses tell Do you know how many times your senses lie to you? I want to do a little poll in here. How many people right now in here think it's hot? Just raise your hand. We're not going to... Am I the only one? <laughs> one, two, three, three... Some of you are four. Okay, five. Come on, now we're getting people honest. Okay. No, no trick. I'm just asking. I'm sure Six. All right, we're getting some. All right. See, people want to know, what's she going to do with it? I'm just doing a poll. You'll see in a minute. Okay. That's it. That's good enough. How many people think it's cold? One, two, three, four, five. How many people have no clue? <laughs> There's some honest people here. Now I have a shock for you. Alan, I wasn't telling you to do something. I have a shock for you. It's the same temperature for all of us. Whatever it is, we could stick a thermometer up here and that's what the temperature is. For some of you it's cold, for some of you it's hot, for some of you, eh, I don't have any idea. Okay? Why? Because your senses... And those that are cold think, boy, it's cold. I wish they turned the heat on. And those that are cold think, boy, it's, it's hot, cold. I wish they, or hot, I wish they turned the heat, whatever the opposite is. 
So it's like we're, we're interpreting it through our senses what the reality is. They did a, a survey, this was years and years ago, when I was going through Air Force basic training out of this flight at a, at a, up in Pease, what used to be Pease Air Force Base. They told us about a, a, a survey they did. They took pilots. These are men and women trained to land planes and to take them off and to judge speeds. And they had them stand there and they, they, they had a plane go down the, the runway and they asked them to judge the speed. Pilots that had taken these planes off on that very runway and none of them could agree on what the speed was and if I remember correctly, none of them were right. Your senses and your emotions are lousy indicators of truth. They have an important function, but they're not for you to discern truth. Now, exception. When you leave here today, if you get out on 195 and you see an 18-wheeler bearing down on you, believe your eyes. Okay? But when it comes to the things of God, the things that cannot be seen with our senses, our senses have an opinion. And carnal Christians are those that are dominated by their senses. They emotionally react to things. They hear a report about something and immediately they go pass it on to somebody else and they start blabbing about it because they heard it. Have you ever played that game? We've done it down here sometimes where you, you, know, you whisper that down and by the time it gets here from Ron, it's a totally different story and that's right within here. This is why social media is so dangerous. I'm not saying you shouldn't be on it, but be careful with it. It's so dangerous because rumors and things go viral without ever checking with the source for truth. I'll get off of that right now, I think. Carnal. That's how we got on that. Okay. You're still carnal. He still loved them, but they were carnal. For wh- and here's the indication. <clears throat> for where there's envy, this is a good one now, strife. Well, but you'd understand, Pastor. Strife. Now, strife is not when you're upset at somebody. Strife is when you stay upset at somebody. Because we're all human. Somebody steps on your toe, you might react. Somebody says something nasty to you, you might... You shouldn't, but you might react. But then what do you do? Do you apologize? Do you clear the air? Or do you hold on to it? Holding on to it is strife. Strife is deadly. Strife will stop your prayers from getting answered. I don't have time to get into the scriptures for that. But if you, there's famous scriptures in Mark 11, 23 and 24 about the prayer of faith. Read 25. That if you don't forgive, God cannot forgive you. That's pretty heavy stuff. If you don't forgive, the Bible says, God cannot forgive you. I told you this is meat today. This isn't milk. This is meat today. Some churches, the pastor, you know, dibs out pablum and milk and fribbles and awful awfuls and good tasting stuff, which we like to have. But I believe God's called this church to a place of maturity for what God's called us to do. At least my calling here is to feed you meat as best as I'm able to do. Okay. Envy, strife, divisions. 
This is still an amazing church of how God has brought together people from different races, different nationalities, different continents, different ages, different educational backgrounds, and melded us together. So what's the devil want to do? He wants to create division. He wants to create division. And when we allow that, when we step into that division, we become carnal. We're judging things after the flesh and not after the spirit. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And then he goes into, the, goes into the specifics of what was going on there. There was a dispute in that church about who was really to follow in that church. And he says, some say that you're a Paul. Some say that you're a follower of Apollos who was a teacher. Paul started the church. Apollos was a very gifted teacher apparently that came in afterwards and, and he laid more foundation. Paul laid the foundation. Apollos built on that foundation and they were fighting over who was the best teacher. They were fighting over, you know, which pastor they liked to hear best. They were arguing, you know, all this junk in God's eyes. Paul's mad. And he brings it to a head down in verse... Um, he says, we're all working together. He said... <laughs> well, let's read down, verse 5. Who then is Paul? who was Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. Verse 6, I planted, I started the church, Apollos watered it. He came and added water that's necessary for growth. But it's God that gives the increase. The reason I can go to sleep at night and get up and not lose my sanity, this is not my church. This is His church. And ultimately He's responsible. I remember hearing Brother Hagin talk about this when in one of the churches he pastored. It was full of strife. In fact, he said it was so bad that he was concerned that the deacons were going to get into a fist fight out on the front yard of the church before the service. He says, I finally realized, wait a minute, this is not my problem, God, this is yours. I'm going to sleep. You take care of it. If they get into a fist fight, I'll lead them back to you, get forgiveness and clean it up. <clears throat> but this is your problem because this is your church. I'll do my job is to preach, to study, to pray, visit, all those things. But that problem is yours. Why? Because he understood that church was not his. And this church is not yours. It's not my church. It's his church. It's his church. We all serve in a capacity, but it's his church. You're his sheep. And every Sunday, and I did, really went over it this Sunday, Lord you are their shepherd. I did not die for any of us, including me. You did. And you privileged me to stand physically before them to represent you as their shepherd to them. And that is a fearsome responsibility that I have, but it's an awesome privilege. And if a pastor loses that perspective, then the door's open to be just let off into all kinds of things. Okay. Verse 7, so then neither he who plants is anything or he who waters. We're all working together. But it's God who causes the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will see, receive his own reward. This is what he's talking about. According to his labor. We are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul, as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another builds upon it. Let each one take heed, this is what he's talking about, how he builds. 
The foundation for this church was laid by Pastor Sam and Donna Smith 38 years ago. 38 years ago? 38 years ago. Pastor Sam went home to his reward in 2006. Donna's still with us. She's in Texas. And I always remember that everything that happens here, what I'm doing is standing on their shoulders. He founded the church, turned it over to Pastor David, then I took it over almost nine years ago. Everything we do is built on that foundation. It's not me. I didn't start this church. I can't take credit for anything. It's just part of working together as Christ's laborers. I don't know how we got off on all that. Verse 11, And no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And this church was founded by Pastor Sam on Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, this is now talking about us. So we're part of what's built onto this foundation. We're part of what God's using to build this foundation for His purposes. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, he's using the analogy of of building a building and the materials that are being used for the building. What's being added to the building to build it. And I, I assume you're smart enough to realize, go back to verse 12. I assume you're, you're, we're all smart enough to realize there's a difference between gold and silver, precious stones, and wood, hay, and straw. So what he's saying here is that Christ is the foundation of the church. And in that church, Paul says, I laid the foundation. I'm not the foundation. I just laid the foundation Apollos, whom you're all enamored with, he simply came in and added to it. All I'm doing is adding to the foundation that was laid here. And all of us have a part in that because that's what he's talking about. So we're either adding, and this is not just the church itself, this building, it's the body of Christ. We're all adding something. Our lives are intended by God to add something to the body of Christ, to the kingdom of God, And we get to choose whether what we're adding is gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. We're going to see, we choose the quality of what we're adding. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Verse 13. Each one's work, we said it before, Each one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one's work will become clear for the day we'll declare it. We read earlier, we must all appear. The word appear means to reveal everything. Each one's work, not his salvation, not his standing before God, his work, his service, will become clear for the day. Notice it's got a capital letter there. That's the day of the Lord. That's that day we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Now I don't... It could be. I don't believe Jesus is standing there with a holy blowtorch. 
and we walk past him, and if our lives are made of gold, then we don't get burned up. And if it's made of hay, we're in trouble. I don't, I, I just, I, this is a symbol to show you what will happen. I believe the fire refers to truth. In Revelation, when it talks about Jesus at one point, it talks about fire coming out of his eyes. I've heard people that have seen him and said, fire, like it was like fire coming out. It wasn't like that, it was truth. It was truth. He is pure truth. Remember when he stood before Pilate? And Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus said earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth of God. And we are going to stand before truth himself. And all of our excuses and all of the things that we've learned to develop to kind of make ourselves feel better and make ourselves look better, they're not going to last because we're standing in front of truth. Now remember, He loves you. He's not angry at you. That anger was poured out on Him on the cross. So you're standing before someone that's judging your works who loves you. Hebrews 12 starting in verse 5, says, Because God is a Father and because He loves us, He will correct us and discipline us because He loves us. He said, if He didn't correct us, that means we're illegitimate. We don't belong to Him. So sometimes you feel like God's squeezing you. It's because He loves you. That's kind of gotten out of vogue today for parents to discipline their children, but not in God's kingdom. If you love your children, you will discipline them. Because the world will discipline them if you don't, and it won't discipline them in a loving way. Jail is a form of discipline, and it's not loving. It's just necessary. Oh, we've got to move on. I've got to start sewing you up again. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. Now think about fire. Think about gold exposed to fire. We saw some program yesterday, I think it was, but somebody that decided they had, they'd won, they'd found gold in the great gold rush of California gold rush back in the, uh, 1849, and they decided to hide it. And nobody could find where it was, but this guy had written hundreds and hundreds of journals with just nonsense in it. And somebody finally figured out what he'd done is he'd taken the gold, melted it down and mixed it with ink, and used the, ink, the gold, black gold, to write on the pages to hide it. And the way, they, the way they redeemed it was to take the pages and burn the pages up, because when the pages burned up, the, 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 the paper just went up like that. And the gold, because you can't burn gold. What, what the fire does is it separates the dross, the impurities, from the gold itself. And the dross, the ink came to the top, and the gold settled down to the bottom. So the fire of God's truth, the fire of His, Christ's truth, for the gold that we built into our lives, will reveal it. Silver also. Precious stones don't get burned up. But hay, hay, and straw, 
like that. So what's this all about? Let's look at the next verse. Verse 14, If anyone's work which is built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So this is the pur- for the purposes of rewarding, and you'll see what that is in a minute. If anyone's work is built on it, he endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Loss of what? All of his good works. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Okay. Let's go over now. Let's talk for a moment about that. I think I covered all my points. Let's go to Matthew 25. That's where we started. Let's go back there and we'll end there. Matthew 25. Everybody okay? All right, good. That just means you're listening. Now, the first 13 verses of chapter 25 is the one we've already talked about. That's the parable of the ten young ladies. <laughs> and now he's going to use a similar example about being ready. This is all about being ready. And we're going to start in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven... Say heaven. heaven. See, the kingdom of heaven... Not this earth. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So the parallel here is the kingdom of heaven is like this. So the owner of the kingdom is going to go away for a while. And this is Jesus preparing his disciples that he's going to be going away for a while. But he is going to come back. And he's going to talk to them about what they need to do. And since he hasn't come back yet, what we need to do to get ready for His coming back. And He delivered, look at this, His goods to them. Very important. He did not give His goods to them to own. He entrusted His goods to them because they're servants. Everybody with me? All right, let's move on. To one... He gave five talents. Now, a talent was, a, was a, uh, originally started as a measurement of weight, but because of what it was used to measure money, it became known as a certain denomination of money. So that's really all this is. To, to, to one, he gave $500. Let's put it this way. To another, two. And to another, one. Look at this. To each according to his ability. He knew their ability. And he gave them talents. He gave them money according to their ability to handle it. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you would like to be millionaires? And the question is, could you handle it? Because they've done studies on people that have won the megabucks lottery, and in most cases it destroyed their lives. Because they never developed the character they had not developed the ability, they had not developed the d- discipline to, develop, to, to earn the money, therefore they didn't have the character and discipline to keep the money. Because it's not just getting the money, it's do you have the ability to handle it and not be destroyed by it. So he gave to each one according to his ability, which means the master had to know them well enough to know what their ability was, their capacity. This is why, you know, some pastors get frustrated because they'll look at these pastors of mega churches. I mean, we just had Pastor Sam Smucker in here. Really sweet, 
humble guy. 4,000 people in his church. 4,000 people. That can be intimidating to a pastor. I've been with people that have had 10,000 people in their church. Very humble people can be very intimidating. Except I'm called here. And it may not be God's will for this to be 10,000 people. Because we may not have the capacity to handle it. We couldn't now. If we, if we went up 50% in the next week, we couldn't handle it. We don't have enough volunteers. So God's not dumb. We can all agree on that. God wouldn't suddenly bring in here another 300 people overnight if they were just going to lose them. So what we're building now is an infrastructure so that we can grow. We're building an infrastructure within our staff. We're building an infrastructure in how we do ministry so that we're preparing for growth so that God can entrust to us more people so that we have the capacity to not be just two but maybe the capacity to handle five because our master knows our capacity. He knows your personal capacity. Okay, let's move on. Verse 16, Then he had received five talents, went and traded them, and made another five talents. Now, I looked at, I got notes in my Bible. What does it mean to trade? Let's, let's talk about this for a moment. To trade something means you've got to exchange it. That means you've got to let go of what you have because you're choosing to let go of this because you see something of greater value. Um, we do that when you buy things. You go to buy a shirt. Men go to buy a shirt. If I go to buy a shirt, I'm looking at that shirt and saying, you know, if that shirt's going to cost me $25, is it worth $25? Yep. See, one of the things they do on this cruise is they take money away from you and they give you a, a room key, if you've been on a cruise, that everything goes to that room key because they don't want you handling money because if the $20 bills are going out at this rate, you wait a minute, I'm spending a lot of money, we just hand them a card and it's not even a credit card. It doesn't have Visa written on it. So you're not thinking, I'm going to get a bill in 30 days. No, you're going to get it at the end of the cruise. Hey, you see people on there buying drinks for people, and I, yes, I wish there's, there's an accounting coming. <laughs> the day of the Lord is coming at the end of the cruise. <laughs> and you see this long line of people trying to deal with what mess that they just made because it's so easy to just use a piece of plastic. Because you evaluate, I want that. Oh, it's, just a, it's just my room key, it's just a piece of plastic. That's why if you're having trouble with credit, cut them up and use cash. And you'll be aware of what you're spending. You look at that shirt and you look at that $25, which is your coffee money for the week and your lunch money for the week. Is that shirt really worth my coffee? Is that shirt really worth what I'm going to give up for it? So when you make an exchange, when you trade something, you've made a decision that I'm willing to let go of this money I'm willing to let go of what I have so that I can get something of more value. So there's risk involved. And so this first gentleman, this first servant, received the five. He traded with them. And because of his trading, he got an additional five. Go to verse 17. And likewise, he who received two did the same thing and gained two more also. Verse 18. But he who received one went and dug it in the ground and hid, look at this, his Lord's money. 
That's key. Because we're going to see in a minute, if he had... He's treating it as if it's his own, and he had his own, he had right to do with it what he thinks he ought to do with it. But now look what's going to happen. The master's been away a long time. You know, he's not showing up every day. He's not getting emails every day from him. Verse 20. So he who had received five talents came... Go back to 19. I think I missed something. Oh, so a, a long time, after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And we're talking about that day when we're all going to have to settle accounts with him. Not for whether we're going to heaven, this happens in heaven, but what did you do with your life? What did you do with your talents? Now, talents aren't necessarily the ability to sing or dance or play an instrument. We'll talk about what they are in a minute. They settled accounts with them. That's what an accounting is. Now verse 20. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, and the Lord and said, Lord, you delivered five talents to me. Look, I've gained five more talents besides. Verse 21. And the Lord said to him, Well done. This is what I live for. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. What's at stake in our rewards is not just the words, well done. And if that's all it is, to have your Lord and Savior look at you, knowing everything about you, and say, Ron, well done. I'm proud of you. You've been faithful. To hear those words from him, wow. But it's more than that. Because what you and I do here is a proving ground of our faithfulness to him. Because in the next age, when he establishes his millennium here, I don't have time to get into it, but there are several places that refers to it, He's going to establish His dominion over all the earth and He's going to assign people responsibilities over areas. In in this life, you and I are proving our faithfulness to Him to decide what He's going to entrust to us in the next age. Not by our intentions, but by what we do. Are we faithful to take what He's entrusted to us and not just hold on to them, but to exchange them for what's valuable to him. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Verse 22. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered two talents to me. Look, I gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Notice, he's pleased with one that only produced two, and the other produced five. So it's what he did with what was entrusted to him. He doesn't compare the two. He doesn't say, hey, this guy had five. How come you've only got two? He looks at what was entrusted to him. He looks at the ability that he had to handle it. And he judges you in terms of your ability. He judges you in terms of your opportunity. He judges you in terms of what he entrusted to you, not what he entrusted to somebody else. I don't have to stand before God and account for what any pastor, other pastor does with his church. 
Success or failure? I have to stand before Him for what I've done. Have I been faithful to what He put me here to do? Which means it's incumbent on me to find out what He's put me here to do. Okay. Now it would be wonderful to stop there, but we got verse 24. Then he who received one talent came and said, look, he's got different words. Here come the excuses. Lord, I knew you. We're going to see he didn't know him. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. That's just not true. That's not God's nature. This was a generous man. But through a misunderstanding of what the master was like, the servant, look at the next verse, and I was afraid. Fear, I've mentioned strife earlier, fear is a deadly thing. Fear is intended to separate you from God. I'm not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. Separate your walk from God. Separate God's fruitfulness in your life. Separate God's destiny that He has for you. Israel, that first generation of Israel, failed to enter into their destiny because they were afraid. Because they were carnal and they judged everything by what they saw and not by what God said. This is why it is so critical to grow in your faith. The reason Christians can be Christians for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and never grow, they stay carnal as they never develop their faith. So they're always dominated by their senses. And as a result, they have the wrong image of what God's like. Because you find out what God's like from the book He gave us to tell us and then walking that out with Him and seeing His faithfulness, His grace, His mercy in our lives. We love to sing that song, His mercies are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. But you come to know that by walking it out in your life and watching in the midst of your failure, watching in the midst of other people's failures, watching in the midst of, of losses, watching that God's faithfulness to you, the develops faith in Him. And when you don't do that, your faith is in you and you become afraid. I was afraid and as a result, I went and hid. That sounds familiar to me because I think I remember reading that in Genesis chapter 3. After they took things into their own hands and considered their life their own. We're going to talk about that in a minute if I hurry up. And, and they went and hid. And God came looking for them. Accounting. Day of accounting. He said, Adam, Adam, where are you? And he said, I was afraid and I hid. He said, who told you you were naked? Fear causes you to hide from God. And causes you to hide what God's entrusted to you because you're afraid of the accounting. Because you don't know Him. I hid your talent in the ground, and look, there you have what is yours. In other words, he brought back to the master. I didn't lose anything, but I didn't gain anything. Verse 26, his Lord answered him. Notice he doesn't say, well done, good and faithful servant. You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown. I don't believe he's saying here, you're right, that's what I'm like. I'm saying, he's saying here, even if that's what you thought I was like, that's not an acceptable excuse. It's really because you're lazy. We don't hear that word in church a lot, but it's all throughout Proverbs. 
you wicked and lazy servant. You knew where I reap where I don't sow, hadn't sown. And I gather where I not scatter seed. He's not saying it's what he's like. He says, that's what you thought I was like, verse 27. So this is what you should have done if you thought that's what I was like. At the very least, you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own, at least with interest. Verse 28, therefore take the talents from him and give it to him who has ten talents. There's an expression out there in the world that if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And that can be true about opportunities that God gives you. So what are the talents here that he's talking about? How does this begin to apply to our lives? First of all, he gives each of us gifts to use for his kingdom. And the purpose of those gifts is to produce a profit for the kingdom of God. And as we heard from Pastor Sam Smucker when he was here, the primary profit is souls. That's what the kingdom of God on this earth is still about. The profit is people. And so the talents that he gives us can be time, money, abilities, opportunities, relationships. Dick was just sharing with me that his wife Connie's been going through some rehab right now. And she's been leading people to the Lord <laughs> in the middle of a hospital and rehab center. We had a dear, sweet sister, Alice. Alice Sylvia. And she, she, even in her last days in a nursing home, I'd go in there. She was leading people to the Lord. She was testifying in the process of dying. Testifying. She was, she was, her life had a different purpose to her. She wasn't so f- focused on what's happening to her. She was, foc- she was taking the, 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 the last moments she had left and using them. Yes. Time. You say, well, I don't have many abilities. I'm not, I can't speak publicly. I can't, you know, I, I, you know, I can't sing very well. Well, that's, you're not so sure you can't. Don't just, anyway. But you got time. We sang earlier this morning about even the breath in our lungs is a gift from Him. What are we using it for? I'm talking to me as much as you. These are, and the, the key here is, and this is the, the, at the heart of this, Oh, I, I missed a verse. 1 Corinthians 4.2. Paul's talking about his own relationship. He says, It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. It's not a suggestion. It's required of stewards that you be found faithful. And we've seen faithfulness isn't just to preserve what God's given to us. It's to use it for His kingdom, for His purposes. And we will give an account, for not to go to heaven or not, we'll give an account. I just want to be able to stand before Him here, well done. But as we've seen, we're proving to Him how much He can trust us with greater things. How much He can trust us with greater responsibilities. None of these things, time, money, abilities, opportunities, relationships, none of these do we own. When you own something, you have the authority over it and the right to do with it what you want. But if you're a steward over it, you have a responsibility 
to the one that's given that, entrusted that to you, to use it for the purposes for which it was given to you. And here's what happened in the fall. I don't mean November and October. I mean Genesis chapter 3. Satan comes in, and the, the heart of his temptation is to get them to take their lives into their own hands and become rulers over their own lives. Because that's what he tried to do in heaven, and it got him kicked out. That's how smart he is. And, and the very essence of sin for which we needed Christ to come is, I'm my own man, I'm my own person. It's my body, I can do with it what I want. That's what abortion is all about. It's about, it's my body, I can do with it what I want. All right, then keep it alive for 200 years. If it's your body and you can do what you want with it, then fly. Go to the Grand Canyon and jump off it and watch what happens. See how much you own it. But there's arrogance to say to God, this is my life, I can do with it what I want. I go over this regularly before the Lord. I didn't create my life. My parents didn't create it. The life that became me came from God. And so did yours. I don't own it. Not only that, Paul says, I've been bought with a price. So not only did I not own it, I messed it up. I perverted it, and God bought me back, purchased me back. So I'm twice, well, I'm twice His. That's got to become your attitude, then you don't have the right to decide certain things. And what you've got to discover is He's a benevolent master. He's a loving master. He wants us to obey Him and serve Him out of our love for Him, not out of fear. But the church has gotten so lazy about this, we need a little fear. The fear, the reverence of, I've got to stand before God. We didn't go on, but one of the verses Paul says, what motivates me is the terror of the Lord. I've got to stand before Him someday. I'm not afraid of Him to run away, but I have a healthy respect. I've got to account to Him for what I've done. I've got to account to Him for my attitudes. It keeps my heart right. If I start letting strife in, if I start letting gossip in, if I start, or worse, speaking it out, I've got to give an account for that. Now the good news is, if I repent of it and confess it, He'll forgive me. But if I don't, it's hanging out there. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. You have to give an account. You have to give an account. You have to give an account. This is sobering thoughts, but it's right out of the Word of God. This is meat. This is meat. And if you're not mature enough to chew it, don't throw it out. Put it on a shelf and understand God tells us this because He loves us. We sang earlier, He's a good, good Father. And because He's a good Father, He tells us the truth. He prepares us. He doesn't want you shocked or surprised. God's not angry at you. He poured His anger on, out on His Son on the cross. God loves you this morning. But He wants us to grow up. 
The church desperately needs, and I'm not just talking about us, the church desperately needs to grow up and stop living our lives for ourselves and living our life for Him. And you can't imagine how much fun it is and how much joy life is when you stop living it for yourself and you start living it for Him. Let's pray. Father, we've heard some hard things this morning, but they're right out of your word. Lord, help us to hear with our hearts. Help us to examine our lives. Not go on a witch hunt, but as the psalmist said, Search me. Search me. Shine your light in me to see if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you. Father, there's some of us that have, have abilities and we have talents. We have time. But we've been selfish. And we've held them back. And when there's calls for volunteers and help, whether it's here or elsewhere, we've held on to it because we think we have the right to do that and we have the privilege of doing it, but we don't have the right. Help us to see those areas, Lord. You know each one of us. You know the capacity we have. And you've given to us these talents, opportunities, gifts, abilities, time, relationships, and all kinds of other opportunities you've given to us that we've squandered. Father, there's nothing we can do about the days that have gone by. We just ask you to forgive us and help us to go forward and make those changes and adjustments that we need to make. Open our eyes to see what you've put in us. And Lord, we may not value it very highly, but you put it in us. And as we begin to give it and exercise it, you will cause it to grow and mature. Help us to grow and mature, Father. Thank you, Father. Blessed is your name. Thank you, Father. Search our hearts. Strengthen us by the Holy Spirit that we may have the boldness. Maybe there's someone we need to go forgive and make things right with. Give us the boldness to do that. Maybe there's somebody that, that, that's tried to get us to forgive them and, and we've held it back. Give us the boldness, Lord, to get those relationships right. Father, maybe we've been part of gossip and spreading things that, that, that just are ungodly to spread because gossip's ungodly. Forgive us for that and help us to control our mouth, to control our heart. Strengthen us by your Spirit that we may have a heart that's right before you and right before one another's. That we can look each other in the eye and not be ashamed. We can look you in the eye and not be ashamed. Cleanse our hearts, Father. Strengthen us. 
Father, maybe there's someone here today that's never received Christ. Help them this morning to see where they are. Help them to open their heart to the opportunity that you're giving them today. Give them the strength and the boldness by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.